Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series regarding our renewed vision for our church. Together, we are learning to be hungry, humble, and hospitable disciples of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Well, two weeks ago, Pastor Steve and I I introduced a renewed vision for our church, and we've been unpacking it the last couple weeks and want to continue to do that this week and next week as well. But if you weren't here with us, uh, the banners actually describe the wording of what we uh, introduced that week. It actually ties together some things that we've been saying over the last five or six years. But I want to ask you, if you would, if you can see them here in the banners here, would you mind reading with me out loud what the banners say? We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. Can you try those last three words with me one more time? Hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now, we've been talking about what in the world do those words mean? What, how would they look like in my life? How do we go after this? And so one of the things we said that day is that what, why we felt like we needed to renew this vision is because in the past we've said we're fighting shallow Christianity by loving the Lord, loving one another, serving the world, and those things are important. Those things are good, but those are things we do. What the Lord's been showing us lately is that before we ever do something, what's even more important is who we're becoming. You see, friends, you and I can do things for all different kinds of motives. We've seen people that do things that it's coming out of a different place, but how do we become like Jesus so that whatever we do is like Jesus? And that's by how we become. So becoming before doing is what we want to pay attention to. We want to pay attention to what our hearts are really like, not just whether or not we can check things off the list or do certain things, because then whatever we do will come out of a better place. And so if you're following along in the notes, here's the idea. Becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable is what we want to be about. And again, notice it's a becoming thing. It's a process thing. This isn't something we've arrived. Hey, look at us. Even when we used to say we're declaring war on shallow Christianity, we always said beginning with ourselves. We're not on some witch hunt. We're not on some superiority thing. This is the process we want to learn. So we want to become these kinds of disciples, these kinds of people. But what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus, if you're following along, Jesus practiced and blesses these three kingdom postures. By posture, we mean attitude or the way we respond to something or to someone. And Jesus blessed these postures. He celebrated them in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 in the New Testament, especially in the Beatitudes, as we're going to see. But he also practiced these. I've told you this many times. What means so much to me about Jesus, even with baptism, Jesus never asks us to do something he doesn't first do himself. That's incredible. Not all leaders lead like that. But Jesus said, I'll show you what hungry looks like. I'll show you what humble looks like. I'll show you what hospitable looks like. Follow me. Become like me. Don't just give the appearance of acting like me. Become like me. From the heart out. And I can work in your life that way. We saw a couple weeks ago that whenever someone's hungry, whenever someone's humble, whenever someone's hospitable, it is an evidence of the grace of God at work in their life. And so we want to be people whose God's grace and God's truth is continuing to have its way in our life. And so we're talking about this. Now, a couple thoughts here. One, today we're going to talk about humble, the second one. 
Steve talked last week about hungry. If you didn't hear it, it was a great message, and I'd highly recommend listening to it online or picking up a CD. But today we're going to talk about humble. And as we talk about humble, I just want to start this way. I want to talk with you about humility and how I achieved it. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. (laughs) I was afraid you'd actually believe me. No, I haven't fully achieved it, but I'm learning the way, the posture of humility from Jesus. I think many of you are too. But how do we grow in this? How do we get better? And then here's the thing. There's two ideas I want to say before we unpack the posture of humility. One is this. We take for granted that humility is prized and respected today. When Jesus came to earth, humility was not prized or respected. It was despised and rejected. The Romans believed that humility was a terrible character trait to have. They despised it. The Greeks felt like it was foolish. It was weakness. Why in the world would anybody want to be humble? And then Jesus died on the cross and turned a symbol of shame and degradation into something that brought redemption. And they saw their Savior take a step towards the most shame-filled symbol and turn it into something different. And so nowadays, it's not unusual in the Western culture for honor-seeking to be looked down on by people and humility to be honored and respected. But historian John Dixon says, you can tell in history when that began to change. It all happened because of the carpenter from Nazareth. And when the Christians began to see his humility, they were never the same after that, and they no longer despised humility. They saw it as beautiful. The second thing is, why do we need this message? You know, I mean, maybe some of you are saying, I I don't think I maybe need a message like this. Well, let me just say this. If we're like the first disciples, you know, we're trying to become H3 disciples. If we're like the first disciples, then we're probably going to continue to wrestle with pride until Jesus comes back and we're perfected in heaven. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with pride every day. So actually, I'm pretty open to this message today and what God wants to say. But here's the good news. If you struggle with pride, and I do, this message today gives hope for proud people. Real hope. And I hope you can take advantage of it. So let me just pray. Then we're going to unpack the posture of humility. We're going to try and picture what it would actually look like in our everyday lives. And then we're going to talk about how we practice it. So when we walk to our cars today, we can actually become more and more like H3 disciples of Jesus. Now, Lord, you know my heart is not only to learn this myself, but I pray that since I'm in a position of teaching, would you give me the ability to share some of the things that you teach in such a way that it would help people that are hungry to become more like you. Thank you so much for the way this characteristic is already evident in our church for your grace upon us. Now help us grow in it. And we pray that a watching world will see you working in our lives and give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's unpack the humble posture. And as we said, The Beatitudes, which are found in Matthew 5. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 5. If you've never looked at it before, I want you to see where it is. And uh, in the Beatitudes, there's eight of them. Jesus pronounces this blessing. Everybody was wondering, what's this teacher from Nazareth going to say? So he starts and says, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. 
and he pronounces these blessings. And we're going to pick the first one and the third one. If you open your Bibles there, there should be a black Bibles, by the way, page 677, if you're interested in using one of those. But when you're looking at the Beatitudes, you'll see of those eight. Today, we're going to talk about the first and the third one. The first and the third one. And I've actually listed it in a gray box there so we can all read off the same translation. So would you mind reading with me the first and the third Beatitude? Let's read together full voice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I, I just, total honest reaction. If I was actually saying, okay, I've never heard Jesus before, what's he going to say? I would have probably said to him, man, I would have started different, Jesus. I mean, poor in spirit, that's just, that's like no American's going to get excited about that phrase. Meek sounds like weak. What? How are they blessed? How are these characteristics blessed? You've got to help me understand. And Jesus is saying, look, I want to show you what it's like when God reigns in your life. In fact, I had a professor that every time he came to the kingdom of God, he'd say the reign of God. Every time he came to the kingdom of heaven, he'd say the reign of heaven. It means whenever God gets his way, here's what it looks like. People are poor in spirit and they're meek, but you don't understand that word if you think it's a bad idea. So what does it mean? If you're following along your notes, here's what Jesus meant by poor in spirit. He meant people who own their need. <clears throat> it means to own our need for God. Billy Graham has said something helpful. He says, whenever you hear poor in spirit, just replace the word poor with humble. Humble in spirit. We all respect people that are humble in spirit rather than proud in spirit. And so people that are willing to say, I know because of my actions, because of my heart, I, I know I need God. I need God's forgiveness. I need his redemption. I need his ongoing work in my life. I own that. I admit that I am not in myself rich enough to live this life God made me for, and that I need what he's done on my behalf. The second word is the word meek. And again, most of the time we hear it, we think weak, but that's not what it means at all. It actually means strength under control, if you're following along. It's a beautiful word. It means strength under control. Um, last night, I, I just went and I, I, I searched. There was a movie I saw when I was younger called The Black Stallion. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's got the most beautiful horse in it. And there's a little boy. What happens is, is this ship wrecks, and the only two survivors are a little boy and this black stallion. Evidently, they were transporting this horse to another country, and it was going to be a great racehorse. Well, anyway, this little boy wakes up on the sand, and he sees this horse just galloping up and down the sand. Just You can feel the pounding when you're in a theater watching this. And so he decides to lure the horse out into the water, where the horse isn't able to get its footing as much, and then he jumps on the horse and begins to try and ride it. And the first few times, the horse just throws him off, and he, like, you know, gets back up, and he, uh, he, he gets the horse on, he gets on the horse again, and eventually what you see is that this horse, is, the mane's flowing in the wind and everything. You see this little boy, all he has to do is just barely touch the horse, and the horse responds. And it is powerful strength under control. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up because a lot of people think that humility is acting like you're a worm, acting like you're a doormat, acting like you're nothing. It's not true at all. God has given every person, even people that have never trusted Christ, even people that are far from God, he's given us amazing talent. He's giving us amazing minds. He's giving us main, amazing abilities. 
And sin has not taken that away. It has marred it. It has twisted its original intent and purpose, but it has not taken that away. But here's the deal. Is my strength, my God-given strength, under control or out of control? Most of the time, if my strength is not under his control, I'm out of control. I'm out of the way I was made to live. And so we need to learn how to live like that. And that brings us to this next idea. It's not humiliation. Humble is not humiliation. It's seeing ourselves properly before God. It's seeing ourselves properly. Humble people do not overrate themselves and they do not underrate themselves. And again, a lot of people think that I'm going to be humble, I have to underrate myself. That's not true. If you say, if you have a certain ability and you say, well, I'm not very good at that, that's a lie. Humility is not denying the power that you have. It's acknowledging the power comes through you and not from you. Let me say it again. Humility is not denying the power or the strength that you have. It's acknowledging that the power comes through you and not from you. And so when a person is humble, it's not self-deprecation, okay? But it's just having a proper estimate of myself. Here's Romans 12, 3. Look at what it says here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, don't overrate yourself, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, don't get drunk on who you are, but have a, have a sober mind about who you are. Just be realistic in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, have a proper perspective of yourself. The word humble means low to the ground. Nowadays, we would say this. A person, we often compliment people for being down to earth. What do we mean? We mean that they, they're just not people that walk around and go, well, I could never relate to that person. No, we mean they're down to earth. They, they're, just, they're just real. They understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, and they're humble about that. And that's really a beautiful characteristic, but this is what Jesus wants to build into us. Now, another thing I want you to see, if you're following along, is that Jesus invites us into his yoke. Not egg yoke, Y-O-L-K, but yoke, Y-O-K-E. Jesus invites us into his yoke to learn this heart posture. I've listed a second verse there. If you were to turn right in your Bibles, you'd eventually see that uh, about... Um, Again, six chapters later, we come to Matthew 11, where Jesus says this. Now, look, read this with me since I put it all in the notes so we can read off the same translation. Let's read this full voice. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, Jesus isn't saying he's not strong. He's saying, I am strength under control with my Father. I'm humble. I'm gentle. I'm meek, but you'll find rest for your souls if you learn how to get in the yoke with me. So what did he mean? It's a beautiful image. Have you ever seen a yoke? Here's one made out of wood here on the screen. Um, I love this. You'll see that the, the, the two places for oxen, one ox on each side was placed in this, wore it on their shoulders, and then the center ring there was connected to a cart or a plow, and they learned how to pull together. Oftentimes, they would take a more seasoned, older ox and put a young ox alongside that ox. Why? Because when a young ox was first, you know, being put in the uh, yoke, it was so independent, it was so spirited, it was so, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And eventually, this older ox would just go, uh, it's not going to work like that. Learn how to pull with me. And would just keep pulling it back and pulling it back in until eventually they learned the rhythm 
of doing it together. Jesus says, look, rather than being independent, rather than being some stubborn, rather than being some spirited person that has you know, all your own ideas about how to do life, why don't you learn from me? I'll show you how to pull. I'll show you how to do life. But you need to get in the yoke with me. That is an act of humility, to be willing. It's a picture of being teachable, guidable, correctable, learnable. And that, that's the kind of picture. And Jesus came with that same posture. So many times people were blown away by it. But now he says, learn from me. Let me show you how to do this. So I thought to myself, how can I spend the time with you today in a way that you might be able to walk out of here and think about humility long after you've heard this message? You may not remember much of what I say, but I bet you'll remember these pictures from Scripture because here's how Jesus taught. When he, was, when he saw his disciples struggling with pride, he would just pull some picture aside and try and show them what humility looked like, okay? So here's the first one. I listed there in the notes. Child. Child. Look at this verse here, if you would, in Matthew 18. Again, if you turn seven more chapters to the right in your Bibles, you'll find Matthew 18. Here's the first four verses. Again, I'll put them on the screen. You can follow along. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Some of the other passages in the New Testament tell us that the reason they wanted to know the answer to this is because they wanted to know where they ranked. That a lot of times the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest. You know, they'd always do it just outside of where Jesus was standing, so he didn't hear that they were arguing and disputing about that. But there was this jockeying for position, this spirit of competition that all of us feel to some degree, even the most quiet of us. And so they were arguing like that. So anyway, they said, who's the greatest, Jesus? They, you know, little Muhammad Ali kind of discussion. He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. This is interesting. He just goes, hey, come here. Sits the child right there. Then he says this. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, he's talking to adults now, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. He says, you want to learn more about humility? Learn from this child. Now, what in the world did he mean? Last week, uh, Trish and I got to be with our grandson who turned two years old. And uh, his older sister, who's four, it was interesting just to spend time with him. We got a chance to see characteristics of children. But if you're following along, here's what it means. It means childlike, not childish in trust and dependence. And that's with four E's in it, in trust and dependence. And so what does that mean? Uh, all of, uh, we watched our grandkids be childish sometimes, and we watched them be childlike. What do we mean? Childlike. When Jesus, when Jesus called this child, he said, hey, would you come here? What did the child do? The child came, trusted him. He was responsive. So he said in that way, hey, when God talks to you, be childlike in the way that you trust and respond and depend. But also in that culture, children were considered of less value than adults. And so Jesus is saying, you know, the culture's got it flipped. We actually could learn more if we became more childlike the older we got rather than less. We actually think we're smarter. We don't need God. And that's childish. Hey, go for childlike. I want to be more childlike the older I get. How about you? Teachable, responsive, 
Not stubborn, independent, childish. Second picture, towel. A towel. Jesus transformed the towel. He meant willingly, if you're following along, willingly serving others first. Out to the right, I've listed John 13. Look at it here on the screen, if you would, with me. This is the last night Jesus uh, had with his disciples before he went to the cross the next day and was beaten. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Verse 1, by the way, says, knowing that he and the Father loved each other. So he's not being humble because he's trying to do something out of guilt. He's doing it out of a very secure place with God. But notice it says he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the what, friends? The towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I don't know if you know the story, but in the Middle East, one of the common courtesies that even poor people had is that if you came to their house, you offered people a basin of water and you washed their feet because it's dusty roads, grimy feet, and it was a way not only to refresh them, but it was a way to honor them. The disciples were in charge of this Passover meal. Jesus had put a couple of them in charge, and they got everything ready except one thing. The towel boy wasn't at the door. So all the disciples had come in, and they just sat there, and, they, and no one said, I'll do it. They just sat there. Jesus walks in the room, sees that. He gets up from the dinner table, says, I'll do it. Doesn't say a word, doesn't say, huh. Just gets up, ties the towel around him, and then he kneels down. And the disciples, including Peter, say, this is wrong. Then Jesus, when he got done, look at what happened after he washed their feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and returned to his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Let's read this last part of the sentence together. Blessed are you if you do them. I want to bless you. I want you to know the way of humility. Remember the towel. Remember the towel. This, this here's a picture of a sculpture that someone has done interpreting that beautiful act of him washing Peter's feet. He's down low, friends. He's the king of heaven bowing before another human being and washing his feet. Wow. Here's another picture that's sometimes used of the towel in our modern day. The guy with a towel over his arm. I've had one experience of eating in a restaurant that fancy. And I'm telling you, you could barely, if your water even got a little low or there was you know, crumbs on your table, they were right there. You need anything? Anything kind of thing. But their whole idea, towel over their arm, here to serve. Here to serve. That kind of spirit is powerful, friends. Third picture, cross. The cross. The cross is when Jesus shows us how submitting fully to God for others' sake happens. 
submitting fully to God for others' sake. Can I just stop for a second and say this? A lot of people go, like, what do you mean by shallow Christianity? Shallow Christianity is when you say, oh, I'm a Christian. I just am not going to surrender my life fully to Jesus. I just want him to take me to heaven. I don't want him to change me. I don't want him to be in control. I don't want him to reign in my life. And friends, that's no Christianity at all. Jesus didn't die to become just Savior. He died to become Lord of our lives. And therefore, shallow Christianity is unsurrendered Christianity. It's any area of my life that I will not surrender to the Lord. I'm shallow, period. And Jesus says, let me show you how to change that. Surrender that fully to me. And so this picture was shown to us. The early church could not stop singing about the cross. They could not believe that the greatest person in the world, God, and human, God became human, and then after he became human, went down, 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 taking the form of the servant. Look at this in Philippians 2. This is just such a powerful. This was actually, the early church sang part of this on a regular basis when they gathered. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. In other words, pride is competitive. Pride is always rivalry and trying to lift and exalt yourself up in some boastful way. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. In other words, it's not telling us not to pay attention to our interests and our concerns and our responsibilities, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, this posture, this attitude, this way that was found in Jesus. Do nothing, it goes on then, have this mind among yourselves, it goes on and says this, which was yours in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but made himself, what friends? Nothing, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Friends, what a step down! The gap that he stepped down into, I will worship him forever for that. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a shameful cross. And so we still see pictures like this on the screen of Jesus hanging on the cross. Full surrender, friends. Full submission to the Father in order to ransom and redeem us because of the curse of sin that we had all were guilty of. And when we see a cross nowadays, Christians go, the humility that was represented in that symbol melts my hardened heart, my proud heart. Man, I'm thankful for Jesus, aren't you? A child, a towel, a cross. But some of you may say, well, what if I decide not to be humble? I mean, there's some advantages of being proud, isn't there? There's advantages of being stubborn and independent, getting my own way, right? Well, let me just say this. Play it all the way out, friends, because here's what the Bible tells us. If you and I decide to stay proud, God will oppose us. If we decide to humble ourselves, God will give us grace. Do you want grace? I want grace. I want grace in my home. I want grace in my life. I want grace in the people's lives that are around me. If you're following along, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, have you ever read 1 Peter 5, 5, and 6? This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Some of you say, why is your favorite? Because I need hope, because I'm a proud person. 
Likewise, you that are younger, be subject to the elders. And here's the phrase, clothe yourselves. You know what that phrase literally means? Tie on the towel. It means a knot, to knot something. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Have a proper understanding of who you are before God, so that at the proper time, he may what? Lift you up. He may exalt you. Wow, what a promise. So I want to just spend the remaining time, what would it look like in your everyday life if you were to practice this posture of humility? Can you picture it? And I will reason, the way I want to do it is I felt led to share with you three areas of my life that I still wrestle with pride all the time, okay? So you can go to school on me if you want, but these are areas that I thought this week, what would, what would the posture of humility look like more often in my life if when I find myself being proud in these areas, it be, just began to change? So here's the first one, you ready? When I react defensively to someone, when I react defensively to someone. Now again, I'm just telling you that this still happens in my life. Trish will tell you, everybody tells me, by the way, that I outkick my coverage. I have the most amazing wife. I, I would totally agree with that. So even when she humbly tries to talk to me, sometimes I'm defensive. She says, Jeff, you, you push back a lot. And I'm just trying to be helpful. And so this is an area of growth for me. In fact, uh, three years ago, I actually shared something like this. Listen to this. This week, uh, Trish and I were, I think we were brushing our teeth or something in our bathroom at home and uh, side by side there at our sinks. And uh, I can't remember what set it off, but um, Trish spoke to me in a tone that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> and, uh, and so here, here was my great response. Cool down back off. It was lovely. <laughs> to which she responded, no, you cool down and you back off. And we were off to the races. <laughs> now I bring that up because here's the question I want to ask you. I'm a Christian. What is that about? What is that about? It's about pride. It's about jockeying for position, rivalry, rather than humility. So what does it look like? In that message, I shared that a little bit later, the Holy Spirit started prompting me across the ticker of my mind. Again, I didn't hear an audible voice, but this thought came, hey, Jeff. Mm -mm. And just, this, why don't you practice being humble instead? So I think I said something, oftentimes Trish beats me to this, so I'm just talking about one example, but I just said, honey, that's not how Jesus would have talked to you. And that's not going to help you follow Jesus. Would you please forgive me? And um, I'll try and respond more graciously next time when you challenge me. And I'll try and invite that instead of being as defensive. And if I get it wrong again, and here's the thing. Jesus says, I list the verses out to the right, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Jesus says, look, if you're worshiping God one day and all of a sudden he brings to your mind someone who has something against you, don't just keep going on as normal. Leave your gift and the way you've come to worship God. Leave your gift there before the altar and go 
First be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your gift. Then continue to worship me. But don't just keep letting that go on and on or just saying, well, they, they were guilty too and all this kind of stuff and rationalizing. Look, and so he basically says in the next verses after that, keep short accounts. Don't let there be such a big gap when that happens. When you find yourself defensive, come back to humble. Choose humble. Second one, when I spew unwholesome words. When I spew, some of you remember the spew word I gave from working in the produce department when I was in high school. The peaches, the soft fruit would often get this brown, gnarly stuff on it, you know, eating away the good stuff on the peach. And I, my brother and I called it spew. And spew, and the Bible says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. It basically says, don't let any corrupting speech come out of your mouth, that, that spew that starts to eat away the good in someone's life, or that just eats away. I don't know about you. I still find myself opinionating, criticizing, gossiping. When you do that kind of thing, and all of a sudden you just go, whoa. What do I do? What would a humble posture look like? And I've told you this story. Some of you have heard me tell it before, but it's marked me so much. 25 years ago, Trish and I were at a conference, and there was a speaker, and he was a fantastic pastor, and he was just speaking, and everybody, we were all with him. And at one point in the talk, he just kind of uh, did a little mocking of a certain segment of Christianity, certain Christians. And he went, yeah, you know, I, and we, I, people laughed. I, I think maybe even I laughed. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget, he goes, stop. He held up his hand like that. He goes, stop. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ I just tore down. God wants me to speak well of them and care about them. And I just turned them into the butt of a joke. And I infected you. Please forgive me. I don't remember anything else he said, but I will never forget that. Because I thought to myself, the time frame between when he said it and when he let the Holy Spirit soften his heart and respond wasn't that far. And I thought that's a picture of how God wants me to learn. Oh, God, help me be more like that. And I spew unwholesome words. The third one is when I want my own way instead of God's. When I want my own way instead of God's. I could name a lot of different things here. It could be you know, how we use our money, how we think of our bodies and use our bodies, how we use our time, how we handle different relationships, how we do our work, how we do our parenting or marriage or friendships or dating or any of those kind of things. Is We all run into situations where we go, you know, I want my own way. Sometimes God will say, uh, Jeff, you know what you're watching right now, I, I really don't think that's going to be beneficial for you. I, I'd urge you to turn it off or run from that. And there's just times I go, well, thanks for your input, God. Uh, I don't agree with you. Sometimes I've seen myself treating the Bible like a buffet. Ooh, I like that. Mm, I don't like that. Ooh, I like that. No, I'm not going to do that. God says, what? Is that really what you want to be? Unteachable, stubborn, independent, spirited? Come on. That's not you at your best. I care about you. I'm not giving these instructions to ruin your life. I'm doing it so you'll be a better person. You'll, you'll have a, a, the right kind of heart. Wow. So where are you at? 
Here's the last question is, Lord, what's one way I can be humble this week? Lord, what's one way I can be humble this week? Out to the right, I list Luke 14. In fact, do we have it here on the screen? Let me just show you how practical Jesus gets. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told him this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, hey, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the question, friend. This can be the simplest thing. This week, I was pulling out of a restaurant on Wabash Avenue. And I noticed that because of the stoplight, someone, you know, someone saw an opportunity. They pulled up real fast for the red light and they just blocked me in. And immediately, I just was filled with love for this person. I, th- I just, I, I thanked God for them blocking that. And I just remember thinking, that was, that's really good that they did that. And I thought, that just changed the whole atmosphere for me. And I was like, okay. You know, and I found this rising up in me, a posture of pride. And then all of a sudden God said, imagine, imagine if in this city, you and this person said, go ahead. If our city was filled with that spirit, if our church was filled with that spirit, what can I do for you? No, you go first. It changes the atmosphere, friends. In a home, in a church, in an office, in a school, on a team. Jesus says, learn from me. I'll teach you. So what's one way? Is it saying before you get something for yourself, may I get you a drink? Is it holding a door open? Is it making coffee early in the morning before you take off? What would it look like? It could be the sometimes the littlest things, but what if? So just take time to think about, Lord, what are you putting your finger on? Is it a relationship I have? Is it somebody you want me to think about right now that I haven't been humble with? but I can be? Is it money, time, my body, schedule? What is it, God? Teach me.